gotta tell somebody. This is the best thing I've ever seen. That. Let's talk about that. Let's you talk need about this. that. Listen to this. Memorable and exciting. Well, then be less boring. I'm gonna tell everyone. Wait here. Quite a remarkable big daddy. Remarkable. Remarkable. Welcome to Remarkable, a podcast for B2B marketers that deconstructs the most iconic moments in film, television, pop culture, and advertising for a single purpose, to give you, the B2B marketer, the same storytelling techniques that the pros use. In each episode, you will learn techniques from Hollywood, Pixar, Marvel, and beyond, from Spielberg's hands to yours, bringing remarkable content ideas to you every single week. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios. This is Remarkable. This week, we're talking about B2B marketing lessons from 500 Days of Summer with the help of special guest who leads integrated marketing at InfoBib. April Weber, how are you? I'm great. How are you, Ian? I am doing wonderful. Excited to chat 500 days and InfoBip and your background and everything in between. So first off, why did you choose 500, 500 days of summer? Wow. So that's, that's an actually hard question for me because this piece of content for me, it, it's a little bit unexpected for, for two reasons. I come from obviously a B2B background and but the second reason is it's a movie and it's a movie in a genre that I don't really typically watch. So I was really, when I was sitting around thinking about what kind of piece of content would I choose, I started thinking about, I had just seen this movie and it, it really engaged me. And so I started really thinking, I want to dive into this. Why did this piece of content really engage me when it technically isn't even for me in my genre or anything that I would normally choose? So it's, it was something that intrigued me. And then it kind of hit right at the same time whenever um, you guys were talking to me about uh, joining your podcast. And where'd you watch it? I watched it actually on a plane ride for work. <laughs> I was going to a convention. And so there is one piece of it where I sat and thought about it. I was like, okay, so I was forced to be engaged, but it was still in a choice of genres and things that I was doing. And I was like, you know, this is pretty interesting to me. And I came back from that and I told, I, it must have been three or four people that have you A, seen this movie and B, you you really should watch this movie. And they would ask me why and I couldn't really tell them why. So after we had a conversation about picking out a piece of content, I was like, I really have to go kind of research this. And to me, I sat back and I started thinking about it even after we had a chat about it. And I was like, you know, I think this, it's, it's a remarkable movie because it takes a nonlinear approach to storytelling. So it jumps back and forth. Don't worry about it. Just start from the beginning and tell us what happened. Things were going so well. Then what? I think we should stop seeing each other. Just like that? Just like that. And it kind of, its structure kind of reflects the nonlinear and multi-touch point nature of the B2B journey. And so I started thinking, I was like, that's a great way to think about it and how it ties in because in our world, you know, this journey that, that people go down when they're in, engaging with content, ingesting content, a lot of times people assume it's very linear and it's not. So I feel like it's, 
they don't always follow this path of awareness to conversion. And I feel like this movie actually had that kind of nonlinear approach. I love it. Let's zoom in out. Tell us a little bit about your role leading integrated marketing at InfoBit. Well, my role at InfoBit, <laughs> it's, you know, I wear many hats, but it does involve crafting and kind of executing on marketing strategies that integrate different channels and touch points that engage and obviously delight the audience. But it's kind of unique because our, our solution, our products, we provide communication and customer engagement solutions. So we also connect with our clients and we obviously have to effectively do that also through them. So our solutions help their clients engage with their customers. And then we make sure that we're there when and how and where they want to engage. So our strategies um, kind of align with also what our consumers are actually doing with their customers as well. So it makes us effectively a B2B to B2C company. We're going to get all into that marketing content strategy here later in the episode. But first, Meredith, what the heck is 500 Days of Summer? So I should warn that there are definitely spoilers. In yeah, this we got to spoil it. We got to spoil it. And it's a really complicated movie, I would say, to try to explain. But I initially thought it was about a romance that happened in the summer. And it's not. It's about, it's a love story that's about a relationship that lasts 500 days with a girl named Summer. I love the Smiths. Sorry? I said I love the Smiths. You've, you've good taste in music. You like the Smiths? Yeah. To die by your side is such a heavenly way to die. I love them. Holy shit. And the in, there are a couple of interesting things, and April, you brought up one of them, is that it's nonlinear narration. So the story kind of plays out in flashbacks to memories of the relationship. Do you like me? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, of course I like you. And friends? Right, it's friends. Just as friends? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know, I hadn't really thought about, um, yes. Why? No reason, I just, I think you're interesting and I'd like for us to be friends. And the other thing that makes it really interesting is that it is a love story, but it's not necessarily a happy story, which I think is super intriguing. Um, so it's about this guy named Tom who falls in love with the new hire at his job, this girl named Summer. I'm in love with Summer. I love her smile. I love her hair. I love her knees. I love this heart-shaped birthmark she has on her neck. I love the way she sometimes licks her lips before she talks. I love the sound of her laugh. I love the way she looks when she's sleeping. But she says she doesn't believe in love and she's very non-committal, just wants a casual relationship. And he's not really okay with that. Like he's always hoping for more. And so when they end up breaking up, she quits the job and leaves. And the next time he sees her, she's wearing an engagement ring. And so it raises all these questions about like, well, why didn't she feel love with me? Why wasn't she able to commit with me? And I think a lot of us have probably felt that way in relationships that have failed. Um, and then I think kind of the cute thing is like when Tom does meet someone new, he finds out her name is Autumn. 
want to get some coffee or something. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm sort of supposed to meet someone after this. Okay. Sure. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> okay, well then I'll just, uh, I'll wait for you. We, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. My name's Tom. Nice to meet you. I'm Autumn. And so it's also a play on the seasons, which again, brought it back to my first, like, thought about the movie. But the movie came out in 2009. It stars Joseph Gordon-Levitt as Tom and Zoe Deschanel as Summer, which are like perfect indie actors, I think. I mean, I know For they're real. mainstream, but they're just so charming and like, I love them. Right. And it was directed by Mark Webb from a screenplay written by Scott Neussauter and Michael H. Weber. And it was produced by Mark Waters. So like I said, it was an indie movie and premiered at Sundance and was super well-received. It ended up being picked up by Fox Searchlight Pictures and is generally considered like a sleeper hit. Like their budget was $7.5 million, but they ended up making $60 million worldwide. So it did super well. Because I love like backstories on things. So the love story is based off a true like real-life relationship by one of the writers, Scott Neustadter. He was studying at the London School of Economics in 2002, and he met the girl who inspired Summer. So he's Tom, she's Summer in the movie. And at the time, he said he was recovering from this breakup when he met her, but he ended up like falling madly in love. It wasn't just like a rebound or anything. And the thing that he said that like really broke my heart was he said, she returned my kisses, but not my ardor which is such like a British, like lovely romantic thing to say. (laughs) And just like, oh, gets right to your heart, you know? And he said it was a very painful end to their relationship. But so then he inspired this movie that ended up being very successful. So I would say her loss probably, you know? That's great. Yeah, like I said, as I started kind of getting into it and and relating it back to content and B2B and B2C and where it lined, there were some great lessons I learned from it. (laughs) So it's... Co-written by someone whose last name is Weber. The director's last name is Webb. And you're April Weber. What what do we got going on here? I feel like there's collusion (laughs) of the highest order. (laughs) Seriously. Totally no relation that I'm aware of. (laughs) That's too funny. Uh, That was truly serendipitous. April, why do you think this is so remarkable? Gosh, well... I think it's remarkable for a lot of reasons, mainly because you can learn a lot of lessons from it when you start really trying to tie it back to how does this really affect marketing and marketing lessons and journeys and and then actually pulling it in as a movie. For one, obviously, we talked about the nonlinear path. It is a nonlinear. And again, another piece where normally I cannot stand when movies jump back and forth. For me personally, it's just, but I think that Part of that, actually, when you can tie it back together from beginning to end and make somebody actually feel tied to that movie enough to share it, I think as a marketer, that that is what we should strive for. Because of B2B path, because of B2B path, any any kind of buyer's journey, any kind of journey is not linear. And, and in order to take a movie that jumps around and is not linear and then ties me back in to actually go and sharing this and saying, this is a great movie, you should watch it. I know you think that she was the one, but I don't. Now I think you're just remembering the good stuff. Next time you look back, I uh, I really think you should look again. Is I think it's 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 great. 
So for me, it's remarkable from a standpoint of you reach somebody for all intents and purposes that is not your buyer persona, that is not your genre, that is not yours. You engaged me, you had me watch the entire movie, and then you had me go out and share it and get other people excited about it. And that to me is, that's, that's a remarkable piece of content. <laughs> yeah. I love that. And I think what strikes me is if you've ever been in a sales call where you have your amazingly beautiful deck, your marketing deck that goes through everything like painfully scripted that you want your buyer to see slide three after slide two, and you want them to see slide eight after slide seven. And like (laughs) you craft the whole thing that way and you get into the sales call and what does the prospect do? Go to pricing. You're like, right. well, wait. Yeah. But what if I need to show you value, but just go to pricing. I don't have a lot of time. Right. Okay? I think, Let's... and that's <laughs> like a key takeaway if you, if you watch the movie or do watch it is the importance of managing expectations. Like Tom idealized this relationship with Summer. Tom walked to her apartment, intoxicated by the promise of the evening. He believed that this time his expectations would align with reality. I mean, we fall into that trap when we're overhyping our products or solutions to potential clients. Like, honesty and transparency are crucial in building trust. And I mean, that movie, right? He idealized this relationship. Like, I idealized the way this is going to be presented. And I feel like we just fall into that trap often. Like, overhyping that. <laughs> well, and... and- and to your point about the nonlinear structure where you do have prospects that want to go through a linear structure, right? Like you do have people who want to know, you know, Hey, Ian, tell me how you met your wife. What was the first date? What was, you know, like that type of structure. When did you get in, where did you get engaged? Where did you get married? Like oh, you know, all that sort of stuff. There's, there are stories that where you, we want to see that. There's other times yeah. where that isn't the case where you do need to jump around, where the prospect is saying like, hey, okay, jump to pricing. Hey, exactly. wait, what, what's, a, what's an example of someone who's just like me who you've done this for? Okay, all right. Yeah. Now go back to what do you, who, do you, who are you again? Exactly. What do you even do? Right. Okay, and then, hey, could you, could you go back to the, the logo slide? And like, I think that that's just very indicative of like how certain people are. And some people like the very scripted, sort of, hey, this is the this is the path that you can go down. This is the very detailed, hey, this is what, you know, you buy the product on this day. This is when implementation phase is. This is when we're going to do rollout. This is how we're going to do, like, people want that, like, extremely organized fashion. And other people just say, like, hey, what's the value that you're going to get on, on one year from now? Am I going to cancel y'all or am I going to renew? Why am I going to, why am I going to renew or cancel after a year? Yeah. Like, it's just totally different. And you as the marketer need to plan those different, you know, those different like pathways and journeys and, and to be able to tell stories in the moments that, that matter. Yeah. I think it comes to like B2B marketing. We often focus on the business aspect and we forget at the end of the day, we're still communicating with humans. So it, you know, whether it's B2B or even B2C, understanding their behavior, their psychographics, it's the key to creating the compelling content that resonates with them. 
So, I mean, like you said, it's, it's understanding them and it's, it's, we're communicating with another human and they're not going to be linear. They're not all going to be the same. And, you know, we, we can't just assume that. I want to get back to the psychographics stuff here in a little bit. Do you feel like with 500 days of summer that, you know, it's not necessarily like a happy love story, but he does find the next thing that that was like a satisfying enough ending for you? You know, I think it, yes. I mean, ideally, if if you watch it and you get to the end, no, I'm the kind of person that wanted to see him end up with Summer. It surprised me too. I don't think I'll ever understand that. I mean, it doesn't make sense. It just happened. Right, but that's what I don't understand. What just happened? I just, I just woke up one day and I knew. Knew what? what I was never sure of with you. But for whatever reason, I got to the end. I realized that wasn't going to happen. The movie ends and I had this sense of calm over me and I don't know why or how, but I think we, we project our own desires onto a person or a situation. And I think that happens a, a lot of time with with humans, people. And I think that that delves into B2B and to B2C marketing. And I think that that was the thing when I sat back and thought about how was I not upset this movie ended this way? This isn't normally. And I think it's just, you sit back and you realize that it, it really is something where you have an idea, idealized perception of how you want something to be the outcome, but it doesn't necessarily mean that that outcome isn't just as satisfying, but in a different way. We always talk about like relatability and authenticity and stuff on the show. Super important to be authentic. We've all been through breakups. We've all had <laughs> someone who wasn't as into us as we were into them. 500 days though, pretty long time, I gotta say. <laughs> like, well, that depends. That depends on your, your buying cycle, I guess. Touche. Touche. But I feel like 500 days to me, I mean, you know, I mean, my parents dated for three months before they got married. So different story there. But like, I feel like 500 days is quite a bit of time to be with someone and, and to fall out of it. And I feel like it's an important point sort of in the story to identify that like, this is not a summer fling. This is a story of boy meets girl. They made a statue of us. The boy, Tom Hansen, grew up believing that he'd never truly be happy until the day he met the one. The girl, Summer Finn, did not share this belief. You should know up front, this is not a love story. Because to me, like when you first read the title, it's kind of, you know, like, A, you think it's about summer, like an actual summer. You're like 500 days of summer and you're like, that doesn't, it's like, that doesn't work in my brain because summer's not 500 days long. And then you're like, is it? And like, no, that's not how years work or time works. But I thought that it's an interesting just like positioning of the, of the story from the very beginning to say like, it kind of starts you off with this like 500 days of summer, like you're kind of put off ease already off the bat. And, and then you're, you know, thrust into this, into this story. I just, I just found that very compelling sort of title and sort of a juxtaposition of, of 
what normally would be very clear title. Yeah, I think it's it's important that the 500 days of summer, part of it, they were off and on, like many people are. Mm-hmm. Like, right, there were, there were, it was an off and on and off and on until, you know, it was over. It's off. What? I mean, summer. Was it ever on? No, but it could have been in a world where good things happen to me. Yeah, well, that's not really where we live. No. And, and so I think that's part of it, which again, it, that's, that's real life. It's, it's authentic, right? I mean, nobody in any relationship, I don't care even if you're married for 50 years, there's, there is the, the ups and downs. I, I mean, obviously it's humanizing and I, and I, again, I relate that and as, in, as anybody that talks to me and knows me, I'm a very big advocate of humanizing any marketing efforts or any content efforts because we should always focus on like emotional connections and relatable storytelling, whether that's B2B content, whether that's B2C content, or obviously, especially in movies. I feel like they did that really well, makes it easier when it's a relationship. And I feel like that made those emotional connections, regardless of your psychographics, regardless of the type of person you are, they made all of that an emotional connection for a lot of different people. You know, it can be your hopeless romantics. It could be your, you know, your your kind of more, I guess, general even kill type of person. You could watch this movie and it made that connection, I think, for a lot of different people. At least that's how I feel it does. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I feel like we can take that. We can incorporate real stories and relatable challenges. I didn't know it was a real story, the background for it. And so maybe because they took a real story and turned it into a movie, that probably came out in it. I liked this girl. Yeah, I loved her. What'd she do? She took a giant on my face. Literally. Literally? Not literally. It's disgusting. Jesus. What's the matter with you? It came out in that content to me because it was a real story which made it relatable challenges faced by everyone we should be doing the same thing. We should be doing this with our clients, with our content that we're doing. And it adds a human touch. It, it resonates deeply, I think, when you can actually incorporate real stories behind it. Yeah, I mean... I th- and I think it makes genuine connections that way. Yeah, it feels real because... And, and that's why Tom feels so real because he's your friend who you're like, dude, what are you talking about? Just get at like... She's not that into you, right? Like, never know. It's like, <laughs> what, are you, it. what are you doing? Like, yeah. wake up. Why yeah. are you moping around talking about this? Uh, which well, is a pretty it, common, like, sort of trope in a lot of movies, obviously. But it feels, I mean, the, it feels the depression real. and the stuff feels a lot more, more, yeah. more real. And it's funny because he, he knew it. She came into it saying, I'm not a person that wants a relationship. I... Like being on my own. Relationships are messy and people's feelings get hurt. Who needs it? We're young. We live in one of the most beautiful cities in the world. Might as well have fun while we can and save the serious stuff for later. She came into it saying that. Just like many times, you know, we, we have people that come in saying, you know, I don't have budget. I'm not, I'm not that into you, but I'll, I'll listen to your story. Right. It, I mean, it, it, it it does have that correlation. She came into it saying like, this is not who I am. I will never have a relationship. Later, he realized, I will never have a relationship with you. 
and she found a relationship. And so it's like, again, it, it just relates back to everyday, you know, life. Like, <laughs> like she, she said, I don't want much out of this. I, I'll be happy to listen to you and we can be friends. And then it came back around to it. And he kept trying to convince her that, you know, I'm a hopeless romantic and you should be too. No, don't pull that with me. Don't even try to... This is not how you treat your friend. Kissing in the copy room, holding hands in Ikea, shower sex. Come on, friends, my balls. I like you, Tom. I just don't want to release... Well, you're not the only one that gets a say in this. I do too. And I say we're a couple. God damn it. And so I think it's it's interesting how that kind of relates. It made us laugh. It made us feel sad. And it it definitely makes you reminisce about your own experience, which is a great way to have any kind of content. If you can if you can get in all the emotions at once, that's awesome. <laughs> I gotta know what the other guy was like, though. Like, what is it about the the other guy? I have to know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think to. that in in a case to correlate it back to content and the workspace, don't you think salespeople often ask that question? <laughs> they 100%. lose the sell. Like, oh, what was it about them that got her? <laughs> oh my gosh, we lost the deal one time because of you know the like reporting analytics and they're using the same exact reporting analytics to us. And I was like, oh my goodness, are you kidding? We have the same thing. How could that possibly be the differentiation? I didn't explain it. Whereas I don't think love is quite that way. But but yeah, I mean, you know. I think a lot of that too goes back to the humanizing. And, and people either, you know, they're looking for this answer of why him and why not me? And there may not be an answer. And And, and that's kind of what she said. She said at the end, you were right. You just wake up and you know. And I think that's the same thing sometimes when when there is no real answer. Our solution was the same. It was, you know, the same price. We're even a better price. I think it's just that there was a human connection that they just felt more connected to the other person. Even in a, a B2B self scenario, I really feel that that happens a lot where it's just a connection that you can't really, you can't really say that you did this better. It's just we connected better. And I, I really think that's true. <laughs> I do. <laughs> do you think that you identify with the story because you're also named after a month of the year? You know, <laughs> I didn't, but that is funny too. When I first turned on the movie, I honestly thought it was about like this long summer romance. That was my I did first too. thought. Yeah. Like it was like this endless summer, kind of like, I don't know, like Groundhog Day. Like it just I thought going. it was like 50 first dates. Yes, right. This is what right. I was thinking. So I didn't realize that it was her name. Hi. Hey. I'm Summer. Hmm. Summer. That's um. That's an unusual name. You know, you, that's one of those names you don't really hear all that often. It's like, uh, Tom. Why, why? Why didn't you tell me that you uh, you knew such a, a? And as soon as I did, no, I didn't really think about it. But yeah, I guess April summer it could it can work <laughs> but no not saying but that you're summer but just you know yeah it's it's relative it could be relative what what if i mean it could have been about 500 days of april 
they and then see and like that's the thing that's so interesting about the summer part to me anyways i wonder i wonder how much it 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 enhances the confusion of the storytelling but also makes it more confusing for you to want to watch this thing whereas like you contrast this to like he's he's just not what is that oh my god what's the name of it? it's he's just nope <laughs> Not that he's into just, you. He's just that, not that into you. Yeah, you. I think that's it. Uh-huh. I yeah. think probably a way better title for a movie, but I don't think it received quite as many as acc- accolades. I don't, yeah. Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> interesting. Again, I'm not a I am not a romance kind of movie, so <laughs> so I haven't seen that one. <laughs> and that came out in 2009, so you know these things always happen in in pairs, anyways. Um, <laughs> We'll have to do, we'll have to come back and then do that movie. <laughs> and see if they relate. Exactly. Yeah. See, now, now you wonder, right? No, I mean, seriously, like you, you wonder about that. Like, I don't watch too many rom-coms. I don't, do I. <laughs> I don't, I, I, which is, you know, again, not, it doesn't fall into a, t- a typical female. I would like to ask people that I do. So I got to know, do, I guess it's one of those things where I'm like, Meredith, do you watch rom-coms? What did you really think about it from just a personal comparative speaking to rom-com? I thought it was really charming, but I, for me, it was more of like it being an indie film. Like I like how experimental they can be and have just like a really stylized way of filming. I don't watch a lot of rom-coms. Almost none, I would say. I feel like I watch, yeah, I watch a lot of like tv like more like shorter form things but yeah but i was also thinking like i wonder if there's a marketing takeaway we can get from it being an indie film it's playing at five you want to see it um i don't know we could just go back to your place or no i really want to see it let's go and just like i feel like indie content tends to be that more experimental more just kind of like different and not afraid to yeah do something that's not mainstream you know what I mean so I wonder if there's like it could also be in sort of in the same spirit as a startup where startups are like smaller more agile can do some more like different content and like if there's like a spirit of the startup that you can take into more legacy yeah yeah I don't know if that's too far of a reach but what do you think no, I mean, actually, you, you mentioned that with you in a startup, you know, you have flexibility like, oh, we don't want to create an ebook again. Oh, my gosh, not another webinar, not another white paper. You have the ability to stretch it, right? You have the ability. Hey, let's let's test out some stuff on TikTok instead. Let's see if we can get B2B on TikTok. Like, and I think you're right. Like in Indie, they have the flexibility not to worry about as much of, you know, who am I trying to hit? with my, you know, expansive budget and more about, I want to try to get people more engaged, but, you know, to test our theory, like marketing, we always look at things for testing as we should, like, now we know to find people that actually watch rom-coms are pretty, and, and then be like, okay, so how does this compare to you in your rom-coms that, you know, that you really watch and like, cause it'd be interesting to see because you may be right. Maybe it's more something that indie films and I don't watch a lot of indie films either. So to be fair, I can compare myself for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just feel like I've seen some really weird. I'm like, I've never seen um, anything in movies like this before. And 
it could be something as simple as like the the coloring or I don't know, like Wes Anderson-y or that sort of thing. Yeah. <laughs> okay. April, any other thoughts on 500 days or, or move on to some info bit marketing? Oh, no, I just think it, it, again, to me, it just reminded us of the complexities of human relationships, which I'm pitching every day in marketing, you know? Summer, I got to ask you something. What? What are we, um, what are we doing? I thought we were going to the movies. Yeah, no, I mean, like, what are we, like, what's going on here with us? I don't know. Who cares? I'm happy. Aren't you happy? Yeah. Our relationships are complex and that doesn't go away just because we're selling a product or solutions because I mean we buy from people we don't buy from companies believe it or not we are emotional emotional people and I think that that's just that's who we are and we got to to really try to truly connect with our audience so how do you think about your your content strategy at infobip wow so so that I could come back to you I mean we we focus on providing your valuable insights and solutions to our audience. I mean, that's obviously, you know, standard. We we need to. So we do a great mix of, you know, blog posts, webinars, and case studies. And we do a lot of interactive content when we can, like quizzes and calculators. This kind of allows us to sort of cater to the different, I would say the buyer's journey, but where I'm trying to kind of shift us to, and it is a challenge, right? You know, you're a large company and you've got certain, certain areas, but I'm trying to get us to focus on like the visual, the auditory and the kinesthetic learners by providing options. It's a, it's a way that kind of would resonate with their psychographic profile because, you know, want kind of to humanize these interactions as much as possible, even though they're digital content pieces, I'd like to try to make them as humanizing as possible. So. I mean, we, we take our traditional pieces and, and we try, you know, and that's going to be an ever, ever changing environment. I would love, you know, when, when we get the chances to kind of expand outside of some of those and test, like you said, some area increasing the, we see it changing. It changes fast. I think North America tends to be the toughest area to kind of stay ahead of the curve. And I think a lot of that has to do with, we have a group of people now that are the buying group. They're the buying audience that is, it came from a generation of short video content. Yep. That's what they came from. We have people that grew up on, you know, Instagram and TikTok that are now buying products and solutions. In companies. They are now of that age. They are now in that genre. And just because they're in a business, it doesn't mean that that didn't come along with them as their choice of engagement. And I think we're B2C companies are way faster at realizing that, but they're also B2C companies tend to buy to, they sell to one person, right? I'm going to sell to April who's buying a pair of shoes or April who's you know, buying a new bike. When you're in a B2B environment, we're selling to a multiple group of people, one solution. So we're selling to a group. And I think we're slower to realize that 
there's some very valuable placements in ideas around content that aren't your generic webinars, case studies, and, you know, eBooks and things like that. Although they need to be there. I'm not saying they need to be gone. I'm just saying that we need to be adding too because we have new buyers. And I think that that's, that's, that's our content strategy. So we're, we're creating as fast as we can and trying to hit all of those different psychographical profiles, as well as, you know, just the different ways that people want to engage and ingest. And we're, we're trying to, to, to create an environment so they can do that. Do you have any favorite content or campaigns that you've done over the last little bit? <laughs> That's a tough one. Yes, I, I tend to lend to our more, I wouldn't say, we launched campaigns holistically across the entire audience. It kind of does to me go, and I know I say this word a lot, that I am a big psychographic profile. <laughs> so I appreciate the comprehensive campaign launch. It does include all different pieces of content. And we do this, our team does this amazingly well. But a particular human, if I was wanting to be dressing it, and I'm a personalized preference, my favorite pieces would be our, show, our short social videos, our authentic fireside chats. Those to me are, are my favorite pieces of content. These are ones that I pull in with customers and partners. And we, we're casually discussing challenges and solutions for their marketing and CX teams, but we're not discussing our product or solution. We're discussing what, what is it you know, you're having challenges with and, and how are you guys overcoming that? And those to me are my favorite pieces of content because I think it, it for lack of a better term, it, A, it's authentic. You're having a conversation with somebody about, oh, you know, Miss CMO, you know, what are you guys seeing? And, and I was like, oh, well, it's really hard for us to get our customers to engage because there's so many different engage. Oh, well, what are you guys doing to do that? Oh, how are we doing this? It makes us guilty by association because what do we do? Our company does. And to me, those are my favorite pieces of content. You know, we, we do try to produce your traditional use cases and case studies. To me, they're way more valuable if you are having more of a fireside chat about a solution and something like that. So those are my favorite pieces of content that we do. We only get to do about to because you're pulling in people's times. You guys know this, right? Yep. Now we're trying to pull in people and trying to organize schedules just to get on a call and, and record it or to, you know, or can we do it in person? And those, those take time with schedules, but those are my favorite pieces. You know, those are the ones that we, we that we do and we can pull in outside experts. Those are my favorite pieces, hands down. <laughs> How do you think about the ROI of content? Ooh. Gosh, that's a tough question. <laughs> we track various metrics like everyone does. To me, when you're going to spend time, effort, and money on creating a particular piece of content, you want to set that up up front. So if you're going to look at something that is a conversion rate for a particular region that is a gated piece of content, maybe it is an ebook or a white paper, that might work in a particular region. You know, maybe that works well in EMEA. Maybe that works well in Latin. Been great. Then that's your metric. Did we get the, the, you know, did we get the conversion rate? Did we get the download of the ebook? Did that move on? Then that's what you look at. Are you looking to run it by OKRs? Then you're matching your metrics on the content that drives there. So yes, 
For me as a overall comprehensive marketer on the campaign, I'm looking for, basically I'm looking for close one deals. I'm looking for revenue. But if you're looking at it as a specific piece of content, I'm looking at more of the engagement metric. How did it get engaged? Did it get shared? I'm looking more at that kind of dark funnel type metric. Did we get conversations started? But we put the content inside of a campaign. So in the campaign metrics, I'm looking more for ROI. You know, did we actually get pipeline or did we get a close deal from that? April, it's been awesome having you on the show. For listeners, you can go to infobib.com to learn more. Any final thoughts on marketing, on 500 Days of Summer, on content? Gosh, I don't really have a whole lot to say. It's it's been a great, it's been an interesting conversation. You guys <laughs> actually put you put me to the test when you were like, okay, pick your favorite piece of content. And I was like, well, I don't want to go with something that's that's boring, that's B2B, that's um, so you know, 500 days of summer might not be an obvious choice, but it was a fantastic springboard for discussing the intricacies of B2B marketing, I think. And for sure. I just appreciate you having me on the podcast and hope it sparks some interesting thoughts about the connection between unlikely content and successful B2B strategies. I love it. Thanks, April. We, uh, we really appreciate your time. We'll talk soon. All right. Thanks. Well, that's it for today. I hope you got some good ideas for your B2B content. Thank you for listening to Remarkable. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios. Remarkable is created by the team at Caspian Studios, B2B podcast as a service. Caspian also creates fiction series for B2B companies. So if you want a business thriller, you can learn more at caspianstudios.com. Hollywood style storytelling for B2B. And in today's episode, you heard from myself, Ian Faison, and Meredith O'Neill, senior producer here at Caspian Studios. Remarkable was produced this week by Meredith O'Neill, mixed by Scott Goodrich, and our theme song is Solomon by Falak. Be remarkable and rise above the noise.